Well, good to see you tonight. Two weeks that we were off. Got some people maybe out of the habit now. <laughs> but a few folks called in. Uh, one will still be making it later. The other one had to do some stuff after work. But we're going to be over in 2 Kings chapter 21. We're going to look at two kings here tonight. Finish one, start on another. As I was looking things up, it doesn't seem like we've covered these chapters very often. So we'll cover them here tonight. In 2 Kings 21 verse 19, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulamath, the daughter of Haruz of Jatba. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Yuzah. The Then Josiah his son reigned in his place. Now, he's 22 years old when he became king, so more than likely he was born while Manasseh was in rebellion against God since he repented in the last years of his life. The name Ammon actually comes from an Egyptian god, and he seems to be named after an Egyptian god. You remember Ra, the sun god? Well, there's Ammon-Ra that he seems to have been named after. And we just see that he was an evil king. Now, some of the Jewish writings tell us that just like Manasseh had lived evil for most of his life and then turned around and humbled himself before God and repented at the end, and uh, that Ammon was going to pattern himself after what his father had done. And his intention was to kind of be wild and serve all of the pagan gods and do all the things that the pagan gods let you do for the uh, beginning of his life. And then towards the end of his life, he would repent. And turn his life over to God. How many do you know people that had the same kind of idea? That, uh, well, I'll, I'm going to live like I want to live now and I'm going to be, become a Christian later. Well, it didn't quite work out that way for him. He didn't have as much time as his father had. He only had two years. But it said that his, the servants conspired against him. Now, it didn't seem that the servants conspired against him because they thought they could take the throne away. And they conspired against him in his own house it would seem that his servants who were closest to him saw the damage that he was doing to the country and probably killed him because of that. Even though they realized they probably would die in the, uh, as a result. So that's my, my take on why his own servants conspired against him. After two years, maybe they saw that Josiah was a better person than he was and had more hope for, for him. Don't know exactly what it was, but the people rose up when they saw that these folks had killed Ammon. They apparently didn't try and run and escape, so they took them and killed them, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, in Second Chronicles 33 and 23, I think I left that in your outline for you, it reads, And he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself, but Ammon trespassed more and more. So maybe he was looking for that. Maybe that's why it mentions it. He was looking for a time that he could turn back to God, but he didn't get that opportunity. Never a good thing to put things off when it comes to the Lord. 
Second Kings 22 and verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Baskoth. And he did evil, oh, I'm sorry, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Too often read that. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now this is not written about any other king. There's other ones who, who became, had a saying like this pretty close to it. But this guy, he's compared right to David and that he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. He just kept going in the, in the way of God. Now, he was eight years old. He's not the youngest one to become king. He's a year older than the youngest. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Uh, verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and wooden images, the carved images, and the molten images. Now, when we see with Ammon, Ammon had taken the children of Israel back to the idols that his father Manasseh had done. Remember Manasseh repented before God and he came back and he removed all of the idols that he had set up. And so, Well, he didn't destroy them. He just removed them. If you want to get something out of your life, you have to destroy it. Just uh, putting it away in the closet somewhere, it's going to come back. And his son brought them all back. So when Josiah goes about doing this, he does not remove things. He destroys them. Turns him into dust, as we'll find out. But he was eight years old when he became king. And it says in verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign. So he's now 16. While he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molten images. Now we look at Hezekiah, and Hezekiah jumped on the reform part very, very quickly. And there are some differences between Hezekiah's reform and Josiah's reform. We're going to see as we... We go through here. But as the twelfth year of his of his uh, in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images and the carved images and the molten images. So he pursues God, he learns about the things of God, and these things are still going on in the country. But eventually he he puts some action to it. So it does take him a little while to get to the action part. Verse four they broke down the altars of the Baals. In his presence, and the incense altars, which were above them, he cut down. <clears throat> and the wooden images, the carved images, and the molten images, he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So he didn't just put them in storage somewhere. He ground them up. He turned them into powder. He scattered them around. You are not going to bring these things back. They are done scattered them on the graves. That's uh, as much as uh, against the graves as it is against the gods that he's scattering here. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon as far as Nephtali and all around with axes. Now, if you remember, during the time when Israel first split apart under Rehoboam's reign and Jeroboam was given the uh, ten tribes, he set up an altar and a prophet of the Lord came to that altar. And while he was sacrificing... You remember the discourse that had gone on? And he made a prophecy. And he said, Behold, a king will be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And he will come. And he will break down this altar. 
And we've talked to you about it before under Jeroboam. Jeroboam's fear was that Israel would eventually go back to David. And here he's saying that the king of, uh, born of the house of David would come and do this to the altar. So that's his fear. Well, the things that you fear will come upon you. And this is what they had done. But Israel has already fallen in the north. But he is still able to come over here and take on Manasseh, Ephraim, some of the towns of the north. The biggest reason for this right now is because the uh, world powers are in sort of a state of limbo. You have Assyria, which was a world power, and they're kind of crumbling. And then you have uh, Babylon, which is rising up. And so they're kind of going at war with each other. They're not, they're, there's, there's not as much jurisdiction from these countries over these other areas as there will be later on. So he's able to go up there in Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around with axes, and he, he does this. Now, it doesn't specifically mention here in this verse that he takes on Jeroboam's altar, but that's where it would have been. And it was prophesied that he would do so. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So he goes on out and he breaks down all these things all these altars, all these uh, idols. Now, here's the difference with Josiah's reform. In Josiah's reform, he grows himself up. And then he goes out and he purges the land. You remember with Hezekiah? He brought everybody to Jerusalem, turned them on to the worship of God, and then sent them out. And the people tore down the altars. The people tore down the gods. And the people purged the land. And this one, Josiah does it. Now, for, from here, we're going to go over to Chronicles because Chronicles gives us more detail than Kings does. In Second Chronicles 34 and verse 8, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had Persia land and the temple, he sent Shaphan. Now, he started the, the Persia in year 12. <coughs> we're not to year 18. So it would seem to be six more years. When he purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Messiah of Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, in which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put it in the hand of the foreman, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen, the builders, to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and to floor the houses which the kings of Israel had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully, the overseers who were Jehath, Obadiah, the Levites, and the sons of Merai, and Zechariah, Meshulam, of the sons of the Kohathites, to supervise others, of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Now there are some who write about this and say this is actually the original book given to Moses that it was stored in the house of the temple and it was preserved and uh, that they still had it. Um, very possible. 
that it, that it could be. Remember, we're still in Solomon's temple. We're not in the other, other temple, so we're still in, in Solomon's temple here. It could be the very one, but at, at any rate, it is at least uh, one of the uh, copies they have, one of the original, one, one that they felt was honored enough, they stored it away in the house of the Lord, probably hid it away because some of the kings who came by had set up images in the house of the Lord, and they probably hid it in a way there so that it wouldn't be found. And as they're going through and they're cleaning out things, they found it. Maybe they found the trap door, they found the loose brick, they found whatever it was, and they uh, opened it up and there was the, the book. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that the, was committed to your servants, they are doing. Now, in the account, the account in Kings, it actually says that once he was given the book in the temple, he read it. He read the book of the law. Now, that could be all five books. It may be just the parts of the law. Don't know all that he, he read. But he sat there and he read it, is what it tells us, before he came over to the king. So then he comes over to the king. Verse 17, And they gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the house, uh, into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it to the king. Then it happened, thus it happened, when the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Oh, we cut it off there. Well, we'll see what they say here in just a minute. But he's, he is cut by this. As soon as he hears this, this is the first time he's heard it. Can you imagine this? That you don't, you don't even know the words of the, of the law. You were, the children of Israel were supposed to take these words that Moses had written and remind people on a regular basis. They, they were not supposed to depart from their, their mouth. All the time they were supposed to be meditating on these things and now they are completely forgotten. Didn't even know what they said. But Josiah had already been working on the house of the Lord, had already purged the land of the, of the idols and he did not have the book of Moses, the law of Moses. He didn't have any of those things. They didn't know any... How, how are you supposed to institute the worship of the Lord if you don't know what the Lord said to do. How are you supposed to do that? He's doing it to the best of his, his knowledge. He's doing it to the best that he knows how. He's probably asking the priest, all right, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think we're supposed to go this way. All right. They don't have any, they have nothing to go on. If he had a copy of the book of Moses, the books that he wrote, if he had any kind of a copy, he would have read it. He would have sat down and he would have devoured it and gone over it and, and done exactly what it said. He didn't have a copy. In all Israel, all Judah here, there was not a copy of this book until they found one in the temple. And they sat down and they read it. And after Shaphan read it, he brings it on back to the king and he reads it all to the king. And the king is cut to the heart. Oh, we have sinned. Our fathers have sinned. We have done wrong. We have wrath coming down upon us. They didn't even know they were in the way of wrath. Ignorance 
of the wrath of God does not stop it from coming. Of course, we're going to find out from the word that he gets that God says, yeah, it's on its way. <laughs> and it's not stopping. It is coming to you. So just because this world is ignorant of the things of God does not mean that God is obligated in any way to not send his wrath. His wrath is coming upon this world, whether they know it or not. Not a single copy of this was around. Josiah was eight years old when he took the throne. He's been reigning now for 18 years. And after 18 years as king of the land, he finally gets a copy of the words that God gave to Moses. Is that not astounding? Can you imagine that this land, after such a reign of Hezekiah, such a great reform, where you brought the people to a place of repentance, that the people went out and purged the land, that you would get from that spot that in fifty, in less than 55 years, the people would get to this spot. That's just, that's just amazing. But then you look at this country. How far have we gone from the 60s and the 50s to where we are now? How much have we let go of the Word of God from what we used to have of it? And that's what we saw in, in this, if you want a, a timetable. That's about the same kind of a timetable as what happened. Wonderful reform under Hezekiah. Probably one of the best reforms Israel ever saw was under the reign of Hezekiah. We get to Josiah, and he doesn't even know that there's a law. Doesn't even know that there's a book. They didn't even know to look for the book. And upon cleaning out the house of God, they found it. And it wasn't in an obvious spot, or they would have found it a whole lot sooner. So he says this to his servant. Verse 21, Go inquire the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hokiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hashra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. That's this area of the, of the city of Jerusalem. And they spoke to her to that effect. Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord. So she either already had the word of God given to her before they arrived, or after they arrived and they asked her the question, the word of the Lord came to her. But she doesn't need to go away and pray about it. Now you remember with, with Elisha, Sometimes Elisha says, so-and-so, he's coming to your house to inquire the Lord, to come and to kill you. Give him this word. And so he had that word. So God will do that to you. He'll give them the word ahead of time. So she had the word. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense on to other gods, that they may provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out in this place and not be quenched. That's a little bit of a different response we usually see from God. He's usually pretty happy when they repent, when they come back. He says, I'm not, I don't care how much you repent. I'm not pulling this back. You guys are going to get it. 
It's all coming. It's all on its way. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now, I think this is interesting of this. Back in the days of Rehoboam, God knows him by name. And now we call him the king of Judah. I would have called him the king of Judah back in the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam and called him by his name here. But God called him by name back then. And here he calls him, as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. In other words, since you heard me, I also heard you. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Now wonder, why is this? Why is God listening to Josiah but not to the repentance of the rest of the children of Judah? Why is it that he doesn't seem to be very impressed with what Israel is doing, what Judah is doing? But as far as the king Josiah, he kind of puts him aside. All right, here's the people of Judah who have repented. And here's Josiah who also has repented. Now to the children of Israel, the children of Judah, this is what you're going to say. It's all coming. You're going to experience every bit of the wrath that I said would happen in that book. Now as to the king, I heard you. Because your heart was tender. And so we're given some things that was done. So, so what, why the difference? Why the difference? Why is, is he listening to Josiah, but doesn't seem to be too interested in the, the children of Israel? In order to find that out, we've got to go over to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah got his start in ministry under this king. And in chapter 3, in verse 6, this is what came to Jeremiah. The Lord also said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, After she has done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So it came to pass, through her casual harlotry, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Now this prophecy came during the days of Josiah. This would be the days of this Reformation. How God is classifying Judah here that she has not come with her whole heart but in pretense. Uh, we know that they've done that before. But God says, I can see right through this. They're not genuine with this. They're, they're not... It's not an authentic repentance. Then the Lord said to me, Backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your 
iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you one from the city and two from the family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So God says, I will bring you back. But you got to return. So I give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So Judah has not returned to me with her whole heart, only in pretense. But Josiah's heart is different. It's called tender. The Lord sees him as, as different. So what is it that made him, ten- him tender? What is it that got the attention of the Lord with Josiah? But the rest of the children of Israel, not so much. I put this in your outline for you. There is a difference between being sincere and being authentic. There's a difference between being sincere and being authentic. The children of Israel who are coming to the temple and worshiping God that have repented, that have turned away from their idols to worship God, are probably sincere. But there's not an authenticity about it. That's just not, not quite, quite there. Put it this way. How many have ever gone out and bought an, a new car? Used car, any kind of a car. The salesman who, who comes upon you, they are sincere in everything that they say. But most of us doubt their authenticity. It's kind of the same thing here. They have come to worship God with great enthusiasm. They have renounced all those other things. But God says, there's, there's not an authentic part. It's, it's missing, missing something. And so he gives us here the, the parts that are necessary. What makes his heart tender and not the others. Going back over to, uh, to Chronicles. <clears throat> but as for verse 26, But as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him, concerning thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you. So right there we're told the parts that made him different. That God said, I see you as being authentic. I don't see you as just being sincere. I see there's an authenticity to you. The first off, when he hears the words of the book, he responds immediately. There's no delay. He responds immediately. You'll see this with David. When David is rebuked by the prophet, he responds immediately. Now, he didn't respond immediately. Up till then, his heart wasn't tender. But at that point, whatever was the hardness that was around David was shattered. And we saw the tender heart of David come back out. And he responded immediately. People that are tender before God, people that are authentic, when God speaks to them and God shows them something, they respond immediately. They don't wait. They do it right away. Two times it is mentioned that he, is hum- that he humbled himself. An authentic person, one who is tender, is humble. Not prideful, 
but humble. We need to be, have that ability to be humble. The way that we respond to people shows us whether we are humble or whether we're in pride. We, look, we spend some time on some of the Sunday mornings about that. But they respond. One who is tender responds immediately, is humble. Here's the third one. They feel God's pain. Josiah, when he heard those words, wept. He felt the pain of God. Oh, we have missed it. We have gone off. We have not done what the Lord has told us to do. He felt the pain of God. People who are authentic, people who are tender, they feel the pain of God. It keeps them from doing some of those things. They feel God's pain. And they don't want to walk in the wrong way. The children of Israel, oh man, we messed up. Oh well, let's get on back. And <laughs> Have you ever had people, they've done something to you, but they don't quite feel your pain? Kind of hinders you a little bit with them. Josiah responds immediately. Humbles himself. He is humble. He feels God's pain. These are things we need to, to have. Israel didn't have these things. And their repentance, God looked on it and says, eh, it's just a pretense. It's just a show. We get down the road from here, and they're going to go back and follow after the wrong ways, follow after the things they aren't supposed to do. It's not genuine. It's, I mean, I, I know that they mean it. They're here, and they probably really want to be here. There's some sincerity that's there. I heard uh, recently someone was comparing Judas and Peter. That uh, you look at the, the two of them, I mean, were they both sincere? Didn't they both leave everything to follow after Jesus? But there were some, some authenticity problems. Josiah gives us that example. God looked at Josiah, and out of all the people that were there in Israel, he says, here's a man who's authentic. So here's the word I want you to give. I want you to tell the rest of Israel and Judah that are in the land, everything that has been said is coming down upon you. But to Josiah, tell him it's not going to happen in his day. Now when we pick this up, we're going to find out that Josiah's life is cut short. And then things begin to fall apart for Israel. This is the last of the good kings. This is it. And he doesn't take Israel to any kind of a high place. They don't become conquerors of nations. They don't become rich. They don't become blessed. They're just not bothered by anyone at this point. That's really all that they have. But we need to mimic that tender heart. Too often Christians have become hard in their hearts. And even though God tries to speak to us, we're resistant to it. No, I'm okay. No, no, no. Things are, things are good. It's not necessarily the case. It's so easy for us to see the problems in everyone else around us. It's so hard for us to see our own. But authentic people look to what's going on with themselves. And don't keep looking and talking about what's going on with everyone else. A tender heart is necessary. You want God to respect your repentance? We've got to have that tender heart. Because you've got all these people all before God, all repenting, all worshiping God. And after they get this word, he's going to go off and we're going to, we're going to do some worship. And they did some worship. 
But he was tender. The other people, not so much. They would eventually go back to their idols. Isn't it amazing to you that people can go back and forth between worshiping God and worshiping idols and worshiping God and worshiping idols? Just back and forth. Something you think has got to be wrong. Something's got to be wrong with them. How, How can they go on that way? God doesn't like it. God doesn't want it. God wants us to be real, authentic, not just serious, not just sincere, but he wants to have those, those places of being authentic. A tender heart is a tender heart. You don't have to put disguises on it. You don't have to cover up the things that you're feeling. That's just how it is. Josiah, when he heard the words of the Lord, didn't have to find out, well, how should I respond to this? He responded the way that he felt. That was he wept. Because that's who he was. He was authentic. This is, God, this is how I feel. This is what this does to me. And God looked at that and said, I can respect that. I can respect that, Josiah. But the other people, it's not real. Oh, they're here. They're sincere and all, but it's not real. It'll go away. I've said it before that if Israel and the next generation, next king would have come up and they would have done the same thing, and if the next king would have come up and the king and the people would have done the same thing, and if the next king would have come up and the people and the king would have done the same thing and followed in the same way, they could have kept the judgment of God at bay for a long time. But God knows they aren't going to keep it at bay because their hearts aren't tender. They're lacking the authenticity. It's going to go away. But Josiah, yours is not going to go away. Yours is true. And so God said, for all the days of your life, this won't happen. Because Josiah, I see that you're authentic. That this isn't just something that you're, you're doing. This is something that you feel. This is something that's a part of you. And that's not going to go away. And so God could make this promise that in the days of, in your days, Josiah, this will not happen. Because in all the days of Josiah, the Word of God says he did not turn from following the Lord to the right hand or to the left hand that he kept on going, following the ways of the Lord. Even though he knew it wasn't going to last, that the judgment was coming upon him, his motivation was not to keep the judgment of God at bay. His motivation was his authenticity, his genuineness. And that's what God, that's what attracted God to him. And that's why God said what he said. We have more to learn from the times of Josiah, and we'll get into those chapters probably next week. Father, we thank you for the example of Josiah. Thank you that we can see that there's a difference in repentance from just being sincere to being real, authentic. Not putting on a show because all we need to do is bring out what's on the inside because what's on the inside is real. It's what we feel. 
It's who we are. It's what's in us. We don't have to cover it up. We don't have to put any masks on it. We don't have to pretend. We hurt when you hurt. We feel joy when you feel joy. Father, I thank you for examples of people like Josiah that we can learn from. But there's also people like the rest of the folks in Israel. You said what they're doing, it's just pretense. It's not real. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us to discern in our own life what is authentic and what is merely sincere, what is pretense. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.